This is the Design Spark Podcast. Yes, that's right. The Design Spark Podcast. Lucy Rogers, Beck Hill, and Harriet Brain. We are the presenters, so you'll be entertained as we talk about tech and we have a good laugh about the past and the present and the future and stuff. This is the Design Spark Podcast. Coming up this episode. It's really small and it's in Mayfair. Can you imagine the stag do package? No, not after what you just said. I don't trust you at all. Ten billion pounds. I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. Hello, this is the Design Spark podcast, the show that uses facts, songs and precision engineered puns to master the mysteries of modern tech. I'm Professor Lucy Rogers the inventor with a sense of fun. And I'm once again sharing my lab with laughter legends and my technology trainees, Beck Hill and Harriet Brain. How are you both? Fine, thanks. Great. Oh, this lab is amazing. Yeah, it's Ooh, gorgeous. What does this do? No, no, no. Oh, <laughs> Ow, that bit hurt. <laughs> <laughs> That's the spiky bit of the lab. <laughs> <laughs> All good labs have a spiky bit. Don't, don't sit on the spiky bit. <laughs> We need to be told. That's just good advice anyway. You don't have to be in a lab to take that advice. Please, both of you be very careful. I have just bought a job lot of rockets disguised as microphones and a giant countdown timer. That was very silly, Lucy. Why would you buy a job lot of rockets disguised as microphones when we're clearly about to record a podcast? I didn't think that one out through at all. So, Beck, did you ever dream of becoming an astronaut? Uh, I... I, do you know what? I never dreamt of being an astronaut. I didn't. I think astronauts dream of being me. Yeah, nice. (laughs) I do too. Harriet, what's the furthest place you've ever been on holiday? I think probably Florida. Yeah. Did you go to the Space Centre? No. Oh. No. Disneyland? Did you go to Disneyland? No. Why why were you in Florida? I I went to see the alligators. (laughs) And the iguanas. How were they? It was a reptile holiday, okay? Don't judge me. <laughs> we're, we're not. We're, we're, I'm just, well. I'm judging her. No, don't judge. It's sort of like dinosaurs, but, you know, now. Exactly. Little. Today's episode is all about mastering the mysteries of space tourism. It's the area of tech that comprises the world's two most difficult things, rocket science and customer service. <laughs> Beck, Harriet. What do you know about space tourism? I'm feeling confident. They say fake it till you make it, and I'm sure that applies as much to rocket science as anything else. (laughs) I know nearly nothing about space tourism, seeing as I didn't even visit the space station when I was near (laughs) the space station. Or tourism, actually, for that matter. Most of my holidays are are, um, (laughs) reptile-based. Yeah, gotta tell me everything everything I need to know. (laughs) Well, let's hope you did some homework. (laughs) Luckily, I'll be sharing my quick start guide and Beck and Harriet each have two research assignments to help them discover the truth. I've definitely aced my assignments, by the way, Beck. Wait, I had assignments? (laughs) At the end of the show, I'll be giving you a examination to see if you've been paying attention. And remember, the soundproofing in this lab space means that no one can hear you scream. (laughs) silence i just screamed so she's right (laughs) the trainee with the highest score will be awarded a design spark masters in technology badge 
which I'm afraid is not recognised by the scouts, the guides, or even the Lithuanian army. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on with Mastering the Mysteries of Space Tourism. The definition of space tourism is when people pay, rather than get paid, to go into space, either for recreation, to perform their own experiments, or to finally try the local delicacy, a tube of dehydrated prawn cocktail. <laughs> Getting into space is so challenging and expensive that, to date, it's been the preserve of government organisations. There's a saying that if you want to become a space millionaire, all you have to do is start as a space billionaire. <laughs> Around the year 2000, when the Russian space industry was running out of money, they took the opportunity to make some cash by letting anyone with enough money come and visit the International Space Station, much to NASA's annoyance. Mm -hmm. Only seven people have gone into space as tourists to date. One, Charles Simone, liked his trip so much he actually went twice, once in 2007 and once in 2009. Although, to be fair, he did leave his car keys there the first time round. <laughs> How much do you think Charles paid for his tickets? Um, Ooh, um, he's got like a pretty cool surname, so he's probably like from an old billionaire background. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to say a billion. No, that seems too much, doesn't it? Billion's too much. Ten, ten billion. Ten billion. Ten billion. I'm, do you know what? I'm going backwards. I'm going to say um, I'm going to say a million. No, they'll need more than that with NASA. Five million. <laughs> <laughs> so final answers five million. Ten billion. Ten billion or five million somewhere in between the answer was a cool 25 million dollars in 2007 oh that oh, was way closer <laughs> and 30 million dollars in 2009 when he made the mistake of taking some tonic water from the minibar <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of millions oh my gosh if there's if there's nothing more annoying than someone getting all up in your space who shouldn't be there, it's someone who spent way more than you'll ever make in your life getting all up in your space who shouldn't be there. <laughs> <laughs> the International Space Station saw an increase of career astronauts in 2010, and so the tourist season was halted. But NASA have now said they will allow tourists to visit the ISS from 2020 that's this year, from only £27,500 per night, travel not included. Harriet, Beck, do you think this makes the ISS the most expensive hotel in the known universe? Uh, no, <laughs> I because I've, no, I've just decided that this year I'm going to open up a hotel in my cupboard <laughs> and I'm going to charge £27,501,000 per night. <laughs> It's very exclusive. <laughs> There'll be someone willing to pay that. Harriet, other than Beck's cupboard, what do you think is the most <laughs> expensive hotel? Um, you know that sort of little red one in, in Mayfair that's like, it's so small <laughs> that like, you can't even stay in it. It's just, it's really small and it's in Mayfair. That's the most expensive hotel. Are you referring to a Monopoly board? Yes. Yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Really small and red. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> the most expensive hotel room in the world is the Empathy Suite at the Palms Casino. <laughs> I'm hoping that's meant to be resort, not report. The Palms Casino Resort. <laughs> <laughs> it might be the Palms Casino report, which costs $100,000 a night and has Whoa. a two-night minimum stay. Blimey. Oh. So the space station is really cheap. I couldn't stay in an empathy suite. Empathy suite? <laughs> I just don't understand how people do that. Nope. <laughs> Imagine having enough money that you could stay in a place that costs the same amount as a house to own for life. For one night. You mean a flat in London? Yeah. Well, no, you couldn't get a house in London for £100,000. <laughs> you could get three nights in Beck's cupboard, though. <laughs> <laughs> Private companies have been promising space tourism for years. They just needed to solve the small problem of developing their own spaceships. Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic does, however, claim to have sold over 600 tickets for a suborbital flight, while Musk's SpaceX will be sending tourists on 10-day trips to the ISS in late 2021. So suborbital... Um, it doesn't go all the way around. OK, well, I'm not interested then, Richard. Thanks. <laughs> I want to go, I want to go orbital, not suborbital. I'm not taking anything less than I deserve. I do a suborbital flight when I'm in a plane. Yeah, you can go. You can have a suborbital flight in a plane, can't you? Or like a hot air balloon. That's suborbital. What about a jump? What if you just did a jump? Yeah, just do a jump. I'm not paying millions of pounds for that. Well, <clears throat> I'm not paying for a jump. While some companies are focusing on how to get tourists into space, others are working on where they'll stay once up there. Bigelow Aerospace is testing inflatable living capsules. I'm hoping that's a very fancy way of saying bouncy castles. And yeah. Axiom Space is making bolt-on tourist modules for the ISS. Cool. They always get you with the bolt-ons, don't they? Added extras. You sign up for an ISS <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, there we go. I know what I'm paying for my ISS. And then, bam, bolt-on tourist module. <laughs> Meanwhile, travel agents, such as Space Adventures, work with different companies and governments to put the whole package together for you. Can you imagine the stag do package? Yay. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know how they would fit that Bo Peep costume over the top of the astronaut outfit. <laughs> extra, extra large. <laughs> It'd be really hard to get the strippers in there, though, wouldn't it? As soon as they start taking their clothes off, they just just implode. Explode. Ah, <laughs> oh, bum! I don't even know which way you're supposed to plode in space. I definitely shouldn't be an astronaut. SpaceX is also preparing a mission around the moon for the Japanese entrepreneur and artist Yasuku Mizawa and six to eight artists he'll take with him as part of an art project he's created. That must have been one hell of a grant application. <laughs> yeah, ten billion pounds, I imagine. That's the only number I can imagine today. I think I read about this guy and he was like looking to take a girl up there as a date, wasn't he? He was looking for a girlfriend. Which Wasn't that on I an just... island a long time ago? Castaway or something. <laughs> I don't know. History repeats itself. What art would you make in space? Ooh. 
Oh, something with heaps of heavy stuff that you couldn't do on Earth, like anvils. That's such a good idea. I would do a sculpture out of anvils. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that'd be beautiful. And <laughs> on that note, that concludes my quick start guide to space tourism. Yay! Woohoo! Nice one. Harriet, I asked you to research the history of space tourism, which will be difficult since most space travel has been faked by the government. Only kidding! How did you get on? (laughs) Yeah, nice cover-up there, Lucy. Cover-up of a cover-up. I got on very well, I think. I did some research and I'm I'm going to tell it to you now. (laughs) So smooth. Okay. (laughs) So, space tourism history of colon. In the 17th to 19th centuries, aristocratic men could splash the cash and do the grand tour, which was basically touring exotic places and feeling good about being, you know, male and white. Ah, so that's how they chose the name for the Top Gear spin-off. Now I get it. Uh, Most recently, uh, more recently rather, companies such as Thomas Cook have made tourism more accessible to the middle classes. By more recently, I mean, you know, later in the 19th century. But space tourism is definitely still in its aristocratic men's stage. (laughs) If you need the proof of this, then knight of the realm Richard Garriott, son of astronaut Owen Garriott and designer of computer games, paid $30 million for his trip to space in 2008. Oh, hang on. He's not a knight of the realm. He just likes to dress as a knight of the realm. (laughs) Never mind. He's still the man I want to marry, just so I can be Harriet Garriott. (laughs) Lady Harriet Garriott. The first person to pay for their ticket to space was Dennis Tito. He's no mere observer, though. It says on Wikipedia that Tito performed several scientific experiments in orbit that he said would be useful for his company and business. Citation needed. Citation needed indeed, Dennis. You're a tourist, mate. Accept it. (laughs) In order to stop just any old Garriott, Tito or Musk doing what they want to do in space, the powers that be created the Outer Space Treaty in 1967. Article 2 of the treaty dictates that outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, is not subject to national appropriation by claim of sovereignty, by means of use or occupation, or by any other means. This, of course, clearly has legal implications for the first moon tourists, Wallace and Gromit, (laughs) as they are yet to hand over to Her Majesty's (laughs) Government the cheese they collected from their grand day out in 1990. (laughs) NASA's space shuttle programme ran from 1981 to the final mission in 2011. I was there. I saw the last one go up. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, wow. In 1984, the first non-governmental astronaut, Charles Walker, flew on STS-41D, his ticket paid for by his employer, McDonnell Douglas. Although he technically wasn't a space tourist, as he was paid to go and tried to put in an expenses claim for mileage. (laughs) One astronaut really did try this back in the 60s, only to be handed a bill for the cost of the rocket. (laughs) The Duke of Edinburgh. Sorry, <laughs> that's quite funny. <laughs> it's quite a good uh, segue. <laughs> the Duke of Edinburgh thinks every child should have the opportunity to go to space, just like he did when he flew his plane really, really high. Remember, in that special Philip Go to Space episode of The Crown. <laughs> so thousands of children every year do the Duke of Edinburgh Award, and that's where they go. Teachers and parents are under the illusion that the training and gear are for a short hike in the park. Fools. <laughs> I spoke to some children for my research and they all confirmed that they did, in fact, go to space. They ate Kendall Space Mint Cake, or Space Kendall Mint Cake, and they lived in space tents. They also said it was totally lame and they would rather have stayed in a Bigelow Space Hotel. (laughs) That concludes my research into the history of space tourism. Yay! Well done! 
Thank you. Now we know some history, I think it's time to move into the present. Also known as Beck's Assignment. Yeah, also known as the best part. (laughs) Your assignment was to figure out what you'd need to pack if you were a space tourist. Apart from the usual shampoo bottles filled with vodka trick. What did you decide on in the end? Ah, well, there goes number one. (laughs) So here are my top ten things to pack as a space tourist. Coming in at number ten, I've put sunscreen because of the radiation. (laughs) At number nine, I've put a camera. Like, imagine if you forgot your camera. That would be so annoying. And then you got back and you were like, yeah, you but I went to space. And they would be like, show me the photos. And you'd be like, uh, you won't believe this. <laughs> that would be real, real big, wouldn't it? <laughs> You'd have to get a green screen. <laughs> Coming to number eight, some sandwiches. <laughs> Just in case you get snacky. So John Young was actually an astronaut um, back in 1965 and he smuggled a corned beef sandwich aboard the Gemini (laughs) 3, which I think we mentioned in a previous series. So, uh, yeah, if you want a corned beef sandwich, I think you should should hide that on your person. What sandwich would you take, Harriet? Um, I'd take a chicken sandwich. I like chicken sandwiches. I'd have done peanut butter and jam. Mm. I think I'd go classic cheese classic cheese not not any of this punk rock cheese a classic cheese sandwich coming in number seven some classic earth souvenirs just in case you meet aliens you know and then you can exchange gifts so i think you should take like a big ben pencil sharpener or an iheart new york t-shirt or one of those big toe blurins excellent coming in number <laughs> six <laughs> Mm-hmm. Number. Thank you. Really struggling with counting today. <laughs> Number six, a dinosaur's coloring in book. In case you get bored, you can buy them now from BeckHillComedian.com. Coming in number five, take a framed photo of your loved one. And uh, oh, I actually got you this one, Lucy. Um, why is it of you? <laughs> Might not a loved one. Such a hard way to find out. I like how you asked that and not why aren't I dressed? Priorities. <laughs> Number four, take some weights so you can film yourself lifting the weights and pretend you're not in space. Then then you pick up whoever you want to pick up. <laughs> Number three, take a guitar so you can sing Space Oddity and go viral. Ground control to make... Nice. Number two, take a book on how to learn guitar. (laughs) Just take me. (laughs) Yeah, take Harriet. And number one, take Valium, because you're actually terrified (laughs) of flying in confined spaces. And actually, why did you even say yes to this in the first place? You wish you were home, (laughs) safe and warm in bed in normal gravity. (laughs) Yay! Thank you, Beck. And to those listening at home thinking of making a space trip, don't forget to pack a jumper, as it's really cold. The countdown timer is starting to glow, which I can only presume means we're halfway through the show. The examination, yes, I'm still calling it that, <laughs> is coming up. Beck, Harriet, how prepared are you feeling for it? Remarkably underprepared. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. I'm still coming to terms with the fact that you've called it a tech examination. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if a question from our audience will help us prepare. Alex McMillan from Northern Ireland tweets to ask, will the moon ever be able to host the Olympics? Harriet? care to take a long jump on this one? (laughs) I was actually better at high jump, believe it or not, despite my height. Uh, Will the moon ever be able to host the Olympics? Um, Yeah, why not? I think that's that's my thoughts on that one. Uh, I I like the idea of the weightlifting because, you know, you've practiced uh, with with Yeah, exactly. We'll be Mm. so ripped. So, like, we'll win as well. So, uh, yeah, bring it on. What, because gravity is heavier for other countries? Right? Isn't that? Oh, no. (laughs) That's exactly how it works. (laughs) I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail the tech examination. (laughs) What sport would you be doing, Beck? If I was doing the Olympics on the moon, I would do golf. They've done golf there before, so I figured there's already a course. That's true. It'd be easier than doing a freestyle, wouldn't it? I'd do sailing. <laughs> or maybe solar sailing. Ooh, moon sailing. <laughs> I like to think that triple jump would you would just do the the skip and the hop and then <laughs> the hop and the skip and then you just you just keep going. Fly. Yeah, like you just never <laughs> land. And just jump off the edge into space forever. <laughs> I was gonna say, what's the circumference of the moon? Eleven thousand kilometers. Okay, we can have an 11,000 kilometre race. I can't believe you knew that off the top of your head, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I did not think you knew that. That's why your head is 11,000 kilometres or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> if you did pole vote on the moon, would that like be the moon on a stick? Yay! <laughs> like a moon lolly. I was I was just thinking more again how you'd probably just float off into space. <laughs> makes me laugh a lot there'd be a lot of lost olympians (laughs) i have one last question it's from lucy here in the lab and it says shall we have a song harriet yay now not many people know that harriet has a master's degree in historic preservation and conservation which weirdly is turning out to be a key skill for a stem podcast Harriet, which icon are you singing about this week? Yeah, luckily I have written a song. Yes. Uh, I did some extra research. Well done. Because I'm really acing these assignments. You know, I'm going to do really well. And what I did is I I went and interviewed uh, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. Ooh. As in the satellites. Spacecraft. Satellites go around the Earth. Wow. Hang on. Let me say that again. As in the spacecraft. (laughs) Yeah. There's not satellites there. They're spacecraft, actually, Beck. Um, they get very offended when people call them satellites. How did you know that? And uh, <laughs> and it turns out, yeah, they're really lovely guys. Um, they're very similar to a well-loved comedy duo here in the UK. Uh, like they're they're exactly like Anton Deck. Um, yeah, well, you know, presenting duo. Point is, I recorded i managed to record voyager 2 i managed to record some of his thoughts on his um time in space cool and uh tell you what he'd be a great trip advisor reviewer he's mm. these are really great um i'm, I'm just going to play you the recording now a 
trying to take a photograph of Jupiter from the designated viewing platform. But I couldn't get the whole thing in. It's way fatter than it looks from us. Disappointing. <laughs> also, there was this moon, Io, who kept getting in the way. When I politely asked Io to please move out of shot, it didn't understand. No one's thinks. Decent English in Jupiter. I thought things would have moved on a bit by 1979. Europa's worth a look, but it weren't enough to make Jupiter worth a visit overall. One star. <laughs> Saturn is an absolute delight. There's loads of places to chill out and relax during the day. And it weren't as cold as everyone said it was going to be. Five stars. There's not much to see in Uranus itself, but the surrounding area is very attractive, if a bit windy. <laughs> Great ring system, remarkably unspoiled. Four stars. I'd heard about Neptune's great dark spot and bright smudge, so I visited those first. I have to say, the spot isn't all it's cracked up to be, and the smudge feels like a bit of an afterthought. Two stars. The nitrogen on Triton is world class, I'd say even better than Earth's, and I'm from Earth. <laughs> it's easy to miss mind. Neptune's best kept secret, five stars. Pluto's all right. <laughs> Three stars crossing the heliopause was the best thing I ever did. Definitely one for the bucket list. I'll give it more than five stars if I could. Not that it needs it, they've got billions of those out here. I don't think I'll ever get tired of stars. Not in a million light years. <laughs> Yay! Isn't he great? Voyager 2, lovely guy. Beck, how many big ideas would you say you have in a week, roughly? Oh, like at least one big one every morning after coffee. So like seven. <laughs> no, no, not 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 bowel movements, Beck. Big ideas. Uh, sometimes they're the same. <laughs> well, that's good, <laughs> because I was rather hoping you had an idea for the betterment of humankind. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. I've always thought of great things. <laughs> See, according to my research, astronauts can't carry that much luggage into space. For the space shuttle program, NASA only let them take up to 20 items with a total weight of only 682 grams, and that had to fit into a space not much bigger than a pencil case. And I know about fitting things into a pencil case. I don't think I could pack everything I need in space into a pencil case. So I was thinking, and it gave me an idea for a new invention, but I need you guys to help me, so I've written some lines for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does this situation sound familiar? I'm nearly packed for my next space trip, but I still can't fit my guitar. Tired of having this happen to you? I've not got enough room for this giant Toblerone and my extra-large framed photo of Beck that I like to have with me at all times. 
sounds like you need space case. <laughs> space case has all the space you need. Literally. Every case contains outer space and because space is a vacuum, every item you pack instantly condenses, leaving even more room for you to take what you need. But that's not all. Because space is very cold, your items will be kept f -f 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 fresh. <laughs> Travel in confidence, knowing that when you reach your destination, you'll have everything you need. Your clothes will be a cool three Kelvins, and any living creature which may have inadvertently found its way into your luggage will be well and truly dead. Hooray! <laughs> but wait, there's more. Become an early investor and we'll throw in a black hole and bag. The opening of each handbag is a tiny event horizon, meaning you can put anything you want in there. Keys, phone, kids, you name it. But don't expect to get anything back. The black hole and bag is perfect if you want your items to both be destroyed and simultaneously occupied dimensions, which we've yet to discover. It also makes a great stocking filler. <laughs> so, Lucy, what do you think? Brilliant. Yep. Absolutely great. Harriet? I can't see anything wrong with that idea. Hooray! I've got my investors. <laughs> Thank you very much for bringing us your big idea. It sounds practical and lucrative. Yeah, sorry, I'm only kidding. But it was fun to listen to. <laughs> fun. You can have fun. The examination is looming. Are you nervous? Yes. Stop mentioning it. <laughs> Lucy, what realistically can I, as an average person, in brackets, not average, Expect on a future. I don't think I was supposed to say that part, but I'm. But I like it. <laughs> also, I think I am supposed to say that part, but I think it's funnier if I say I'm not supposed to say that part. <laughs> Lucy, what realistically can I, as an average person in brackets, not average? I don't think I was supposed to say that part. Expect on a future trip into space. <laughs> Please, I'm not one for offhand conjecture. Oh, okay, not a problem. All right, you've talked me into it. Strap in as I give you my forecast for the future of space tourism. In the future, going into space for a holiday will be as easy as going camping. Although a fart in a rocket ship lingers longer than in a tent. Here's what a future me's holiday journal might sound like. Dear Diary, Day 1, in space. I feel sick. Day 2 in space, I feel better. No, wait, I feel sick again. Day 3 as a space tourist. I'm so excited. It's been three days I've been orbiting the Earth and I'm finally getting used to it. Apart from the bruising. Every time I push off a surface to try and get somewhere, I push too hard and whack into the opposite wall. Or another tourist. I have been aiming for the tall, hot one, but they always manage to dodge me at the last minute. <laughs> Day four. I <laughs> Day four. I dreamt I was being attacked by a windmill last night. Our sleeping bags have got Velcro to stop us floating about, but mine detached itself and I ended up with my bum against the air vent. Day five. The view is fantastic. I could spend a whole day just staring at the earth out the window. I mean, I could, but I don't. When you've seen one ocean whiz past at seven kilometres a second, you've seen them all. No, literally, every 90 minutes you see them all. Day six as a space tourist. 
have just noticed that for the first time in years, I don't have the usual aches and pains. My body is so much more relaxed now that I don't have to deal with gravity. To be honest, I'm beginning to think Newton was overrated. Day seven, I've started to look out the other window. Not the one that looks down on Earth, but the one that looks out to, well, the rest of the universe. Weird to think that as far as I can see, and I can see lots of light years, there are no other humans or life. And if there aren't aliens, it's one heck of a waste of space. Day eight, time to fly home. But as I pack my space case and black hole land bag, <laughs> I stare at the beautiful glittering blue and green marble floating before me and ask myself, do I really want to take the shuttle back to Earth? Or should I just stay out here in the inky black void, exploring the unknown boundaries of science <laughs> for the benefit of humanity? <laughs> Nah, I booked with a budget space line. There's no way I can afford their cancellation fees. <laughs> it looks as though the rocket mics are about to launch, meaning now is a good time to test your knowledge. Beck, Harriet, I've given you my quick start guide. You've completed your assignments and my forecast for the future is clearly just wild speculation and was not at all stolen from Jeff Bezos' suit whilst it was at the cleaners. <laughs> so, are you ready for your tech examination? Yes! Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yes? I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. Yes. Confidence. <laughs> yes. Fake it till you make it. Good. It's not as hard as the name is silly. I'm going to ask you some questions drawn from today's episode. You simply buzz in with the right answers. And anyone saying these buzzers are death traps is mad, whilst those health and safety waivers I made you sign earlier are merely routine. So let me hear your buzzers, Beck. No, not after what you just said. I don't trust you at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's an awful way of introducing these buzzers slash death traps. <laughs> all right, ready? Ready? It's pretty cool. Brilliant. Harriet? On with the questions. Fingers on your buzzers. Question one. How much will NASA charge tourists per night to visit the International Space Station? Oh, Harriet was there quicker. Oh. Uh, just one pound less than Beck's charging for her cupboard. It's £27,500 a night. It is. Well done, Harriet. Bargain. Question two. What sort of space accommodation is Bigelow Aerospace developing? Go on, Beck. Um, bouncy castle tourist modules. Brilliant. <laughs> and the technical term for it? Um... Balloon pillows. Expanded, like expanded pop quilts. Pop quilts. I'm going with pop quilts. The technical word was inflatable living capsules. Inflatable. But Beck with pop quilts gets the point. Is that how it is? Question three. SpaceX is preparing a mission around the moon for Japanese entrepreneur Yuzaku Mazawa and up to eight colleagues. But what will they do en route? Beck. I was going to say something rude. You should probably <laughs> give it to Harriet. <laughs> uh, 
they'll be making art. They will be making art. Well done, Harriet. That was so close to my answer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Beck, this one's for you. Question four. Which computer game designer paid $30 million for a trip into space in 2008? Oh, the night night guy was an astronaut. Yes. (laughs) Oh, and his last name rhymes with Harriet. Yes. Garriot? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Guess his own first name. Sorry, I just need to drop my buzzer. I caught it in midair. Um... I think his first name was, uh, uh, Richard, Richard Garriott. (laughs) That was good. That was good miming. She wasn't just doing it for fun. (laughs) I thought she was insulting me. (laughs) Question five for Beck. Who was the first person to pay for their ticket to space? I was so excited. I hit my rocket microphone. Um, (laughs) It was... uh, Oh, no. Um, Was it... No, was it it McDonald Ronald? (laughs) No, it wasn't. (laughs) McDonald. (laughs) Douglas McDonald. <laughs> it was McDonald Douglas again. It That's a name it, I remember. It wasn't McDonald Douglas. Harriet. Ah, have you got oh, any ideas? Uh, yeah, yeah. Go on then, Harriet. Uh, Dennis Tito. <laughs> it, it is. Ah, oh, that's right. Yes. Well done. Well done, Harriet. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> it's crying. <laughs> Okay. I love the mime, by the way, Lucy. Question six for Harriet. Yes. What did John Young smuggle aboard the Gemini 3 spacecraft in 1965? A corned beef sandwich? Yes. Yes. And he got into a lot of trouble for it. Well done, Harriet. Yes. Last question for Harriet. Mm Mm-hmm. NASA only lets astronauts take into space personal items weighing up to 682 grams and a maximum of how many items? Oh, Oh, was it 10? Oh, I think I've forgotten. No! It's 20! 20 items. 20 items or less. Well done, Beck. And so ends our examination. Yay! And it was very, very close, but I'm pleased we got all the answers right between you. Well done. We share a brain. Beck had three correct <gasps> answers, but Harriet is this week's winner with four. Ah, oh, bum. <laughs> I'm the best. So well done, Harriet. What does it feel like to be flying high? Oh, so good. I mean, I always knew I'd win, but it just feels great. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Beck? Is second place worse than premium economy? Uh, I, well, you know, I've always had a soft spot for number two, so. <laughs> so true. It's my bum. It's my bum, guys. That's the soft spot. <laughs> if you played along at home, why not tweet us at DesignSparkRS and tell us how you did? Even if you did really badly, we probably won't judge. Mm-hmm. 
So how did this week's episode go for you, Beck? Do you feel like you mastered the mysteries of space tourism? I really enjoyed that. I remembered more facts than I thought I would. So thank you. How about you, Harriet? Uh, Yes, I I feel like I could go to space tomorrow. (laughs) Well, that's the show finished. But tune in next week for a bonus episode where we hear from a very special guest in the world of space. Thanks for listening. And I'm going to leave you with one final thought about space tourism. Imagine if you went to Mars and there was a screaming baby next to you the whole way. And it was a baby. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. To the moon. <laughs> the Design Spark podcast was a Why Did the Chicken production for Design Spark, starring Lucy Rogers, Beck Hill, and Harriet Brain. It was written by the cast and Catherine Brinkworth, with additional material from the producers, Stu Cooper and Dan Page. All audio was mastered by Andy Partington from Swift Professional Audio. And if you like what you heard, then we'd love you to do three nice things. Subscribe, rate us on iTunes, and tell a friend. For more episodes and bonus content, head to designspark.com forward slash podcasts.